Let's begin our sermon with prayer. Lord, you have saved us, and now we await your return. However, you seem slow in keeping your promise, and it's easy for us to become complacent in our waiting. As we look at Abraham's strengths and weaknesses and awaiting his descendant, we ask you to work through our sermon to strengthen our faith so that we cling to your promises, even when they seem slow in coming. Amen. Our text for our sermon is recorded in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. This is the word of our Lord. During our Advent season, we are going to discuss the theme, Lessons in the Coming of Our Lord from His Genealogy. And the first person we're going to look at is Abraham. In some of our texts, he's called Abram, which if he had a truck driver CB handle, that would translate it as Big Daddy. Abraham basically means exalted father or father of many. And his wife, Sarah, originally her name is Sarai, which is basically my little princess and later just princess. So Abraham actually begins in Ur of Sumeria, and then he moves up to Huron of Acadia, And it's there that we're told in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country and away from your relatives and from your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So... Basically, Abraham has to go to his wife and say, "Hun, pack up. We're going to be nomads and we're going to roam around in land that we're never going to own. But someday we'll be our family will be a nation and we'll own this promised land. Okay. But the amazing thing here is, did you catch the very tail end of what God promised Abraham? All the families of the earth will be blessed in you. If all the families of the earth are blessed in him, that means that God has just promised him that the Savior will be his descendant, will have his DNA. Now, of course, we know the Savior is true God who takes on humanity, becomes true man, but he's going to do that through the lineage of Abraham. That's many years after God uh, talks to Abraham, and for many years, nothing. Abraham gets pretty old. Sarah gets to the point where she can no longer bear children. She's past menopause. So what's going to happen? It's many years later that we're told in Genesis 15 verses 1 through 3 while Abram's in the promised land. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram also said, look, you have given me no offspring. So a servant born in my house will be my heir. Abram here is following the natural course of things. God had promised him that he would be a nation, but he recognizes God is the only God and he is the Lord of life. You haven't given me an heir. And he recognizes him and Sarai are getting pretty old. Sarah is past that age of of childbearing. And so at this point in time, the natural course is, there's going to be an, an heir in my house that will inherit everything. It's kind of there's nobody else because lots of times women in that part of the world in those days and for many years after didn't inherit the property. 
So it's all going to be Eleazar of Damascus. Seems this Eleazar of Damascus is actually the guy that will later go up back to Acadia, back to Huron to find a wife for the child when he does come. But as Abram has been waiting for years, nothing is happening. All right, Lord, the natural course of events then is this servant is, I'm just going to adopt him and he's going to be my son. Isn't that how we tend to do things? God makes a promise to us uh, in his word and then it's just never coming. So we start looking at the natural course of things as if God's taken a snooze, as if he's forgotten about us. Well, listen to God's response. Genesis chapter 15, verses four through seven. Just then the word of the Lord came to him. God said, this man will not be your heir, but instead one who will come out of your own body will be your heir. The Lord then brought him outside and said, now look towards the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. He said to Abram, this is what your descendants will be like. Abram believed in the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So God clarifies, "Uh, uh-uh, I meant it. The, the coming savior is going to be from your loins. You will have a child. And in spite of all of the odds, in spite of the fact that Abram earlier was making a plan to just let the natural course of events happen, Abram believes the Lord. And we've got to recognize what faith is. Abram is looking to the coming, de- coming descendant that will be 1,400 to 1,800 years later when Jesus takes on human flesh. But he's looking ahead to him, recognizing he will be the one who does all the work for salvation. And so alien is, or alien, Abram is credited with the coming Savior's righteousness, a righteousness that is foreign to him, a righteousness that would not normally be his own. And the same stands true for you and I when we look back at the Savior's coming and trust that he did all the work to save us. People get confused what faith is and they think it's just you find a power inside yourself and you, and you just trust enough. It's actually that the Holy Spirit had given Abram faith to trust God. He'd given him a new person. And because of that new person, when he heard the promise of God, God speaking to him, he clung to it. And God credited it to him as righteousness. And so we see lessons in the coming of our Lord from his genealogy. Abram's plan was to let the natural course of events happen. That's not how it was going to happen. He was going to come in, in God's timing and planning, not Abram's uh, planning on the natural course of events. But you'll notice when God reiterates that promise in Genesis 15, he didn't say he'll be a descendant of you and Sarah, or Sarai as his wife is called at this time. So what about Sarai? Well, Sarai is well past childbearing years. She is well past menopause. It is impossible for her to have a child. And so now she comes up with the plan. The Savior is going to be a descendant of Abram. Their child will be a descendant of Abram. But because she's past childbearing, God needs her help. And we're told in Genesis 16, verses 1 through 2. By the way, when I say God needs her help, that's being sarcastic. God does not need human help. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore no children for him. She had a servant girl, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my servant girl. It may be that I can build up a family through her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai foolishly thinks the Lord needs her help. and She offers somebody else to enter into her 
marriage bed, wedding bed. And sad to say, Abram goes along with it. That was foolish of him. Now, as Christians, we should be zealous to protect our marriage. And we got to be careful because spouses can become jealous over silly things. But there's a difference between jealousy and being zealous to protect our marriage. Being zealous to protect our marriage means we really do need to be careful of friendships with the opposite sex and things like that. And Abram goes along with this plan and it works. We're told he went to Hagar and she conceived. But there's a problem. It continues, Genesis 16, verses 4 through 6. When she saw that she had conceived, she looked down on her mistress. Uh Uh-oh. See, if you follow the logic here, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure this out. Abram is getting pretty old. And if he passes away, he's older than Sarah. Uh, If he passes away, then everything's going to be that child, the child that Hagar had bore. His name is Ishmael. And if Ishmael is the guy in charge of everything, Sarah's not going to have any legal rights. What woman is he going to look out for? Is he going to look out for Sarah, his adoptive mother, or his true biological mother? Hagar gets it. You couldn't have a child. The Lord closed your womb. But look at what he did for me. Well... Things don't go so well after this. Verse 5, Sarah said to Abram, This wrong that I'm suffering is on account of you. I gave my servant girl into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked down on me. May the Lord judge between me and you. It's kind of sad when spouses make plans that jeopardize their marriage and the other spouse foolishly goes along with it or sometimes just for peace sake says, Fine, let's do this. And then it backfires, and then who gets the blame? You should have stood up to me. Again, we can be very foolish. And Sarah not trusting in the Lord, she creates quite a problem. So we're told in verse 6, But Abram said to Sarah, Look, your servant girl is in your hands. Do to her whatever seems good to you. And guess what Sarah did? Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her presence. God has to intervene. In fact, many years later, when the child is born, uh, Ishmael will be making fun of, we'll say, the little mama's boy. And uh, Sarai says, enough, get him out of here. He's not the heir. And until it bothers Abraham and God has to tell him, it's all right, I'm going to bless Ishmael. In fact, it'll be descendants of Ishmael who will sell a descendant of Abraham, Joseph, into slavery when his ten brothers betray him. So Sarah thinks that the Lord needs their help. Okay, he's promised it through Abram, but he didn't say anything about me. So she makes this plan to have a surrogate mother. And boy, does it cause strife. The household gets divided. It turns out the Lord gives them a child, but what a mess it makes. So we see lessons in the coming of our Lord in his genealogy. He comes in his timing and planning, not our own. Abraham's plan of adoption was basically the most natural course of events. That wasn't going to be it. Sarah's plan for a surrogate mother, that one really backfired on her and caused divisions in the house, didn't it? When we think God needs our help, we better be careful. God is all powerful. We just want to cling to his promises. So it comes to pass many years later, uh, and and Ishmael would be about 14, so it's about 14 years later, that three men walk into the camp of Abraham. Now, 
As it turns out, one of them is the pre-incarnate Christ. The other two are angels. Those two angels will go on to a region, Sodom and Gomorrah, and when they want to rape those angels, not realizing they're angels, it doesn't go well for them. God's going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's not because they want to rape the angels, not knowing they're angels. It is because they have become so uh, engrossed in their rejection of the Lord, and it's seen by the sins that they commit. After God talks to Abraham and what I'm about to read, Abraham says that beautiful prayer starts for 50 righteous. Will you spare the place? And, and finally he gets down to 10 and he stops. And it's really sad that 10 righteous, that means people who believe in the Lord, are not found. Only three. And they really weren't role model believers. So in the meantime, this pre-incarnate Christ talks to Abraham in Genesis 18 verses 10 through 12. One of the men said, I will certainly return to you when this season comes around next year. Then Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this from the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, well into old age. Sarah was past the age for childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out, will I have pleasure since my Lord is also old? Now, there might be a bit of a new person there saying, "Is this now that I'm old, I'm going to have this wonderful thing? But it does seem a lot of this is her sinful nature since the Lord even asks her why she laughs. She has a hard time with this. But God had a plan for this. And when the child is born, Abram will be 99 years old and Sarah will be in her 90s. So we're told in Genesis 21 verses 1 through 3, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age at the set time which God had announced to him. Abraham named the son who was born to him, the son whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. Isaac means laughter in Hebrew. So it was God's perfect timing and God intended for this to be a miracle. Now, Abraham and Sarah seem to get around pretty good for people in their 90s. So maybe for them, their 90s seemed more like being in their 60s. But they still, Sarah was well past this. This was a scientific impossibility. It was a miracle, and God had a plan for that. So let's fast forward 1,400 to 1,800 years later, and a devout descendant, a devout to the Lord, descendant of Abraham named Zechariah, happens to pull the lot in which he gets the once-in-the-lifetime opportunity to go into the holy place, and there was an altar of incense. It was up against the curtain that nobody went past except for once a year. After quite a ceremonial cleansing, the high priest went in and he put the altar of a sacrifice. He put the blood of a sacrificial animal, pouring it over the Ten Commandments on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of Israel. Well, he's going to go right to that curtain. He's not allowed to go the other side, and he gets to offer the incense there. And the angel Gabriel appears to him. So don't be afraid. You're going to give birth to the Lord's forerunner. Now, Zechariah should be going, woohoo, angel in front of me. God promises this. Instead, listen to Zechariah's words recorded in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Uh, Zechariah, hello, angel talking to you. Also, Zechariah should, because he is, he is told, we're told by scripture, he's a righteous and devout person. So he's a believer. He should have been able to stop and go, wow, my descendant Abraham and, and my great, great grandmother, my, uh, my uh, Sarai, were able to do this in their 90s. If God says so, it's going to happen. Instead, he says, how can I even be sure of this? Oh, his 
There's a chastisement for his unbelief. He's not allowed to speak uh, during the whole pregnancy. And once they name him John, then his tongue is loosed up. Six months after the angel Gabriel visits uh, uh, Zechariah, he comes to a young girl. She's 14 to 16 years old. Her name is Mary. Obviously, she's also a descendant of Abraham. And we're told in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, after the angel Gabriel tells her that she is going to be the, the womb in whom the, the, human, uh, the humanity of the Savior is knit, she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now notice in her question, she's not saying, how can I be sure of this? She's saying, since I'm a virgin, how is God going to do this? And we're told that there's not going to be a man involved. It's going to be a miracle. She maybe thought of Abraham and Sarah and said, okay, God could do that little miracle. So that little miracle that would become the birth of Isaac really is going to be a foreshadow of the birth of John the Baptist and then a very big miracle. No man involved the birth of the Savior as he's knit in Mary's womb. So let's apply all this to you. Every promise that is given in scripture for believers, when you are a believer, is a promise for you. So whenever you read those promises, you can put your name in there. For God so loved you, insert your name, that he gave his only begotten son, so that you, insert your name, believing in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God really made a promise to you in baptism. You can always tell churches that are dependent on work righteousness. That means that you earn your salvation because to them, baptism is a pledge you make to God. But it's actually a pledge God makes to you to keep you in your faith. And when you were baptized, God made a promise to you. He made a promise that you would have to put up quite a fight. You would have to fight very hard to lose your salvation. You can do it, but it's only you who can ruin that. Otherwise, he said, I'm going to, at baptism, God said, I've united you to my son, your savior, and I am going to keep you safe until the day that I call you to heaven. But let's admit it, with all those promises of scripture, Jesus told his disciples, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up a cross. It often seems like God hates us. Even though we know that God promised us that Jesus was, was punished for our sins, we know that God can allow us to suffer some consequences for them as a chastisement. But it, oftentimes we can turn around when life gets hard for us and the crosses get heavy. We can turn around and say, God's punishing me for something. I can't even figure out why. And we start uh, trying to search our imaginations and our sinful nature really kicks in. We think God has taken a snooze. Like when, with Abram, when he promised him that the, that the world would be blessed through him. And then many years later, finally even comes and reassures the promise. Where are you, God? During all those times, we want to do what Abraham did. We want to come to the word of the Lord, and, and there he's going to reassure us of his promises. And then when we cling to those promises because of the new person he's given, when we cling to the promise, yes, God is using these hard times for our good. He's not taking a snooze. He doesn't hate us. Well, then because of that coming Savior, that Savior who already has come, and we're waiting for his return, the Lord credits that belief, you're clinging to his promises, as righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness given to you because the Holy Spirit has given you a new person, and that new person does the believing, the clinging to God's promises. And so as you and I wait for the return of our Savior, and we wait for when we get that glorified body, and we just wait sometimes just to see the Lord's love the next day, Remember the lessons that we've learned uh, in the coming of our Lord from his genealogy, looking at Abraham and Sarah today. He comes in his timing and planning, not our own. Abraham's plan of adoption was the natural course of events. And when we make plans based on the natural course of events that go contradict God's promises, 
Well, they'll come in God's timing and he'll allow us sometimes to even see, now you're clinging to the wrong things. Sometimes, like Sarah, we can make plans. She planned for a surrogate mother that are actually very sinful. God needs my help. And those will backfire on us, and we can suffer the consequences of that. But Christ was punished for our sins, and, and, and because of blood, the blood of Christ, just as God cleaned things up with Ishmael and Hagar, he will clean up those sins for us. So ultimately, we're able, as we look to the birth of our Savior and, and to his return, we are able to trust in the Lord by that new person that in God's perfect timing and miracle, Christ will come and deliver us as he has. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.